And the only way it's going to change is if it starts in each and every one of our homes, and it starts right now. Because the truth is, is we're losing young adults left and right. We're losing the next generation. We're losing our kids. Because we want to be right. We want to be haughty. We don't want to love our neighbor. We don't want to walk together and have the Father reveal things in all His time. In fact, we've come to a place where we almost want to play God in certain areas. Now, I'm not trying to beat us over the head and saying, stop complaining. What I'm saying is this. James had a perspective on this. He said in chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Anyone here perfect? How about complete? Is anyone here lacking in nothing? I believe you. Imagine being in a state where you can say, I lack nothing. And yet Paul voiced the very same things. Because Paul talked about being content in all circumstances. Despite what we just heard was on his resume. But he says, you use a religious, righteous cause and commandment to nullify your obligation to honor your parents. So yes, you're using the Word of God, but you're using it completely contrary to what God actually intends behind it. It's not enough for us to say we keep the commandments of God. It's not enough for us to say we keep the Word of God and stand on it. We have to understand what God's purpose and intention is behind each and every commandment, right? Through His Spirit, through discernment, through wisdom, and use it for what He intended and not for our own gain and using it in ways like different loopholes and whatnot to get out of certain things, which we love to do and we're so good at doing. But the spirit is immeasurable. And it's that spirit, it's that Holy Spirit that the scripture talks to us about that leads us to the truth sometimes. We've t I've tied this together with this, is that so many of us came into faith in believing in the Lord, believing in morals, believing in right and wrong, sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. And that it was there that when, when, when something happened or somebody would ask a question or somebody did something wrong, you'd have that gut feeling. You'd have that check in your spirit that you would knew it was right or wrong. And that is the helper. That's what God, that's what the Messiah said was going to come after he was gone was his spirit was going to come and it was going to, going to be help you to remember the words of Yeshua and all the things that he commanded. And that spirit inside of you was that gut check that everybody has and everybody's still sitting in church on Sunday morning. There's a lot of people that still have that too. But then we come into knowledge. We come into what we call truth. We learn about Torah, the commandments, those teachings. And those things we read though, we finally open our Bibles from page one instead of two thirds through the book. And you go back, you start reading and then you realize that there, everything that you knew in your spirit is confirmed with words on a page. Amen and amen. But what happens is people go so far into that, go so far into the truth, go so far into the words on the page that they then forget that immeasurable feeling that's unquantifiable, that's in their heart, in their soul, that speaks to them and tells them right and wrong. 
but yet, for the most part, our movement is very, very comfortable with staying the same. Don't you dare take the plastic off of grandma's couch. The quickest way to get beat. We're worried if we say Jesus. We're worried if we say Yahweh. Because it's Yahovah. It's Yahuwah. Tell you what, none of us are Hebrew scholars. So let's just do the best we can. We allow semantics to define us. And those semantics drive a wedge between us and others, especially in the generational gap. Let us always be mindful that it's entirely possible that the trials that we're faced with are specifically designed by our Creator to give each one of us the opportunity to exercise our faith, like our father Avraham. Let us respond in faith as our father Avraham did. Let us answer the call like our father Avraham did. And may our faith be counted as righteousness. We have so many brethren here today who love the Lord your God, who love the Lord their God, with all their mind, with all that knowledge. They focus their mind upon the things. They study the Word and they, they love God because of the knowledge and the instruction with all their mind. But do they love the Lord with all their heart? Let's stop fearing the guy hiding in the bushes there. It doesn't actually exist. It was a Walmart bag that blew around. Let's not start fearing this food or that food or this person or that person or what we're going to look like or what are they going to think about us. Let's start fearing God with everything we have. If we fear God with everything we have, what can touch us? Who shall we fear?
and welcome to our live stream. My name is Chris Frankie and I'm one of the pastors here at HFF. We're glad that you've joined us. If this is your first time joining us for a service, welcome. The service is going to start in just a couple of minutes. At Hebraic Family Fellowship, we are a family-centered fellowship. We believe that the most important ministry that the Lord has given us is to our own home, to our wives, our husbands, to our children. We're glad you're here with us. We pray that your Sabbath has been blessed and we can't wait to meet you in person one day soon. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. All right, we got a lot of announcements this week, a lot of stuff going on, and want to keep you guys updated. First off, welcome to Hebraic Family Fellowship. Glad you are here. We are very glad to see you on this beautiful day. Um, first and foremost, uh, we are celebrating the birth of a very unique individual today, Miss Lindsay Musson. So happy birthday to Lindsay Musson. Uh, we are very glad that you were born. And uh, I'm sure all of your friends are as well. So what, 16? 16 today? Congratulations. Congratulations. That's awesome. I remember when I was 16, we still had black and white television. So um, now in your lifetime, you're going to see the uh, demise of iTunes. So crazy. Um, no service next week. Everybody's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? No service next week. We will be celebrating Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks and Dallas. There are also a couple of different Shavuot gatherings taking place here locally. So if you have no plans on going to Dallas to join with us at the conference down there, um, and you want to find information on a place that's local, please see Ephraim or Daniel or myself. We'll get you the information on that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. The Stallsworths and Me have one going on. I know the Grafted Church has one going on. And so if you plan on staying locally but are looking to uh, get together with some brothers and sisters uh, to do that, uh, let us help you uh, get the information on that. Um, we will not be having kids class until the 15th of June. So until the service after Shavuot, there will be no kids class, no Sabbath class for the kids. Uh, but again, for those of you who are new, this is a family fellowship. So um, your kids are welcome in our service. The kids are welcome to participate in worship. The kids are welcome to participate in the teachings. And ultimately, what better way to teach them for them to see their mother and father worshiping God and studying the word together. And so um, don't feel like you have to take your kids out because they're making, uh, they're making noise. As you can see, more than half the congregation who's here today is under the age of 20. So um, that's very positive. I've been in some congregations where there is nobody under the age of 20. So I'm very encouraged by that. We have a brand new website, hebraicfamily.com. 
or as I like to say, hff.church. Brand new website's got all of our updated information on it, our events, uh, information on our real-life marriage, small groups, um, on our prayer times, on some of the things that we've got coming up. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up. So for those of you who have been with HFF for many, many years, you know one of our biggest missions is to be a light in the community, to join together with other brothers and sisters and be a light. Part of the way we're going to do that over the next year is to do what we call love on our neighbors. So August 3rd, which is the first Sabbath, the first Saturday, we will not be having church here at HFF. We will be canceling our service. We are encouraging everybody to join all of the leadership on love on your neighbors at Betami at 3 p.m. So we will not be having service here. We're asking you to join with us to go to bed and me and do a joint Shabbat together where we will go and love on our neighbors during the Sabbath service there. Uh, this is something that we want to do every quarter, have a different congregation in the local area and go and love on them. And so um, we're definitely not about division in the body, and we're definitely not about having, uh, having issues with other congregations. And so we want to step out in faith, cancel services, and go worship with them at their home. And uh, they have opened up their home to allow us to come in and be guests there, and so we're very appreciative of that. Um, you'll notice in the bulletin that we have the uh, HFF Outreach Love on Your City as well. We've got two upcoming events, Grace Living Center on Sunday morning, the 9th and 23rd, and then the City Rescue Mission, which is the 29th of June. Um, City Rescue Mission, we only have 10 volunteer opportunities to help serve dinner to the homeless. So that is something that you need to contact Stephen and Alicia if you have an interest in joining us with and be a part of that, because we only are allowed to take 10 people uh, for that. So I want to let you guys know all of that. Um, this the 16th of June, our baby bottle campaign for the Eden Clinic is done. Some people have brought their baby bottles back this week filled with change. Um, you don't have to have a baby bottle if you would like to make donations towards the Eden Clinic, which is the pregnancy help clinic here in Norman, uh, somebody who we've partnered with for many years. They, uh, they exist to have an alternative to Planned Parenthood. And so um, definitely something near and dear to our heart at HFF as the leadership. We want to support them as much as possible. So they're doing fundraisers right now. If you would like to uh, donate towards that, you can either do so at the Eden Clinic website or you can do so through the baby bottle giving that's there. Um, I want to remind everybody that um, 9.45 every single Saturday before church starts, uh, we have a prayer group that meets, prays for the service, prays for your needs, prays for things that are going on. Prayer is a very, very important part of what we do in the body. And so if you are up and you are awake, come on in, join with us in prayer. There's a lot of people who need prayer, a lot of things that are going on. We have a lot of people who are traveling right now on vacation. We need to cover them in prayer. But most importantly... We need to pray because we need to stay connected to the Lord on a regular basis. So let's go ahead. Let's stand up. We're going to start with worship this morning, but let's uh, reach out, find somebody that maybe you don't know yet. Say Shabbat Shalom. Happy Sabbath to them. Welcome. Introduce them. And we're going to go ahead and start off with some praise and worship this morning.
matter what challenges come our way, you are right there with us. You are carrying us through the difficulties and challenges that we face. And we will praise you in the midst of our circumstances, knowing that you are shaping us, molding us into the image that you want us to have. Father, you are so good to shelter us, to be the rock upon which we can stand. Despite what may be happening around us, you are there, you are sure, you are steadfast. And you protect us through all the trials. There is no one like our God who is compassionate and righteous and faithful and true. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it is to you, our King, that we surrender. It is to you, our King, that we lay down our lives in service to you and we declare you are our master our king you are sovereign in our lives in this place in this city you are sovereign first time. This is a time in our service when I have the privilege to let you know about things that are going on with uh, other people that are, in, that are part of this fellowship and give you the opportunity to pray for them. And uh, we have kind of a long list today, so let me start going through it. If, if some of you may be aware that Franklin Graham, this is Billy Graham's son, has asked for Americans tomorrow to pray for this nation, to set aside some time tomorrow to pray specifically for the president and for the leadership of this country. So if you, uh, if you can tomorrow sometime, set aside a, a little bit of time and sit down and pray for what's going on in this nation. Uh, it doesn't make any difference whether you like Trump or not like Trump or whether you voted for him or not. He is our president. He makes a lot of decisions and we need to be praying that the decisions he makes are wise because if the decisions he makes are not wise, that's going to affect all of us, whether you voted for him or not. So uh, we need to be praying for him and for the leadership and for wisdom uh, and for the bitterness that exists in politics to go away and that uh, 
can't we all just be friends? <laughs> Isn't that what they say? All right, so if you can tomorrow, set some time aside and pray for our, for our nation. We need to remember those, especially the north part of the state, that are having flooding. And the forecast, if you're not aware of, is more rain this coming week. So uh, we need to be in prayer. I was talking to someone who's here from Crescent, and uh, they're pumping out their basement every day of their house. But they're not, I mean, there are other people around there that, that are in more shape. Their houses are gone. It's all flooded. So there's a lot of people affected not only in this state but in other states with the flooding. And so we, we need to be praying for them. Uh, for their time of need. And also while we're talking about that, keep praying for, the, for Israel and for the, they're still having some fires over there. Uh, there's still that community where most of the people lost their homes and they still have some needs. So we need to keep praying for them and for the situation in Israel. And, and also for the fact that uh, uh, apparently Netanyahu was not able to put together a government after the elections. And so it looks like they're going to have to call for new elections. So uh, this is pretty important uh, because what happens in Israel determines a lot of what happens around the world. And so we need to make sure that uh, we pray for Israel, that God's will be done in this coming election, and that whoever gets, gets elected is able to put together a government that is along the lines of what Torah teaches and that they will abide by God's teaching. So keep that in mind. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the hospital this past week and visit with Joyce. As you recall, uh, she had a heart pump put in about two weeks ago, and uh, yeah, we had a great time. And she's doing really well. Uh, she has, in the, before the surgery, it was very difficult for her to even walk 15 feet. Uh, this past week, she walked 45 feet to the nurse's station and back. So uh, she's looking for, yes, give God, the, give God the praise. She said she's looking forward to the next time she comes here because she's going to walk in. <clears throat> so you're not going to see the wheelchair. So that's going to be awesome. So anyway, she thanks you for your prayers. And uh, if you want some more information, if you want to go up and see her, uh, come talk to me. She's up at Baptist in, uh, Hospital on Northwest Expressway, uh, but she'd love to see you. So she's going to be there for at least another week, maybe two. So keep praying for Joyce and the family. Uh, Estelle, we've been praying for her and her cancer. Uh, she had, you know, her surgery was successful. She's going through some chemo. She has uh, uh, about three more chemo uh, sessions to go through and then she'll be done. So keep praying for Estelle. Uh, everything's looking really good and it looks like the cancer is gone. So keep praying for Estelle. And for uh, Virginia, her sister, she's having an angiogram done on Monday and that's where they go in and look to see if there's any blockage in any of her veins and arteries and stuff. So we need to be praying that when they go in and do this, that they won't find anything. There'll be no blockage at all, and that she'll be just fine, and the doctors are going to go, oh, I don't know what happened here, and she's going to be able to tell them what happened. 
Okay, so be praying for Virginia. Uh, I saw Danny and Verna come in this morning. Good to see them here this morning. We need to keep praying for Danny. Is he still recovering from his knee replacement surgery? And keep praying for Verna as she still has the pain in her spine and her back and that uh, God will take care of those issues. I spent most of yesterday with uh, Patrick. Uh, he had an interesting day. It's one of those days where you go, I don't know why I got out of bed, but anyway. <laughs> uh, someone ran into him yesterday, and basically his car will be totaled. Uh, Patrick is fine. Got a little bruise on his shoulder from the seatbelt, and, and was kissed by the airbag, but anyway, he's doing good. So we need to pray for, for all the things that, that go along with that. If you've ever been in an accident, you know that you're dealing with not having transportation, you're dealing with having to get a rental car or something, you're dealing with insurance companies, and you know how that is. So we need to just keep praying for Patrick. Uh, he has uh, to go up to the North Oklahoma City every day next week to see a therapist to make sure his shoulder's okay. So. Uh, every day he's got to go up there. So we need to pray for, for that and for, for Patrick and for safety and that all those issues can be resolved. And, and, yeah. yeah, and as Patrick said, give God the, the praise that nobody was hurt and uh, everything's gonna, everything, he's going to work it all out. He's going to give Patrick a brand new Corvette, I understand, or something like that. <laughs> he says he's not sure he could fit into one, but we'll... I bet we could force him into it or something, but anyway. All right, Chris Frankie's grandmother, who's dealing with cancer. The doctors are, have basically said there's nothing else that they can do, and they're going to send her home to go to, and with hospice care. So we need to remember Chris's grandmother. Uh, if you, you know, it's one of those things where you basically are saying, we're just going to send you home and let you die in peace at home and uh, if she could live for as, as he said to me this morning for another seven minutes or she could live for another seven months we don't know it's whatever God decides so pray for Chris and the family for his grandmother and for all those that, that however much time God still gives her here that uh, he will use her in the lives of her family and, uh, and Chris and others and, and them to use this opportunity to bring them into a closer walk with the Lord. All right. I think I have gone through everything. Oh, I don't want to forget this. We need to be praying for Robert and Anna. They're being married tomorrow. And so, yes, praise God. I told him this morning it's still not too late to get out of it, but he doesn't want to, so praise God for that. So be praying for them as God joins them as one tomorrow. All right, so this is now your time. I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pray for whatever God leads you, and then I'll close this in a few minutes.
Father, we come with grateful hearts. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your gift of salvation. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to praise you, to honor you. We lift up to you those who have physical ailments. Thank you that you are healing them, that you, are, that you have your hand upon them. We pray for those who are suffering through the flooding and through fires and other things that are happening. As I look at those things, I see your hand. I see your hand moving across not only this nation, but other countries around this world, trying to wake people up, to make them aware that you are there. That you're the one true God. You're the one that they need to turn to. You're the only one that can give them salvation. You're the only one who can give them hope. So we pray for the moving of your spirit around this world. We especially pray that tomorrow as Americans gather to pray for this nation and for our president and the leadership, that you will hear their prayers and that you will answer them those prayers we commit the rest of this service to you father we pray for the leadership here as they come to share with us not only what your word says about certain things but also what traditions we have as messianics I ask that you would guide them and direct them as they, as they share with us. Most of all, Father, I pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that we might be your people committed to you and to keeping your word abiding by what it is that you have said to us through your word. Forgive us for our sins, Father. Forgive our nation for their sins. We pray that you will continue to bless this nation you will continue to bless Israel, that you will continue to show this world that these two nations who are founded upon your word are yours. And that we in Israel together are your people. Father, I thank you for the 13 years of marriage that Ephraim and Lauren will be celebrating in 10 days.
We thank you for all the marriages that you have put together and have continued to bless. We pray especially for Robert and Anna that tomorrow that you will bless their wedding in a special way. We thank you that you have brought them together and that you will unite them as one in you. So we commit this to you, Father. We commit, again, the rest of this service to you. We ask that it will be pleasing to you. And we pray these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, if I can have all the children come up. Always wonderful to see all these beautiful kids every single week. The Lord has been very gracious and has uh, blessed blessed this community and all of these families. Let us lift every one of these children up before the Lord on this Sabbath day. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you for each and every one of these beautiful children that are before us. Father, for the joy that is always upon their lips and all the things when they even when they're talking to their friends and playing. Father, it puts a smile on all of our faces, Lord. Father, you've entrusted them to our care, the parents, the elders, anyone who has an opportunity uh, to uh, raise up these children. Father, I pray that we would always turn our hearts to you, Lord, and that you would guide us in everything that we need to do to teach each and every one of these beautiful children, Lord. May it always be your words upon our lips, and may we always speak life into them, teaching them of your commandments and your statutes so that they might walk uprightly before you. And Father, as we teach them of the greatest story of your salvation through Messiah Yeshua, as we teach them a testimony of walking with a belief that they have been saved and forgiven of their sins. So Father, we pour out a blessing upon them on this Sabbath day. We pray that you would pour out a mighty blessing upon them, Father. Make the sons to be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Make them fruitful and multiply, Father. And may the daughters be as Ruth and as Esther. Make them righteous daughters of Zion, Lord. We love you and bless you and thank you for all the things that you have done for us in our families and also in this community. May you always guide us, Lord, in new ways, Lord, that we can teach them. New ways for them to learn of your ways. So, Father, we bless you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now they're quiet. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Okay. I'll be doing your first five, obviously, today. Um, so this Torah portion is Bahukotai, which is Leviticus 26 and 27. This is the very last section in Leviticus. Um, in Leviticus 27, we see some interesting facts of basically God showing how he can help us be a great investor into, into things. He's showing us very uh, wise uh, money decisions, which is kind of interesting. Basically, if you haven't been able to fulfill a great promise to somebody, how much that's worth to them. 
Um, if you fail to commit a promise, for men it says it's 50 shekels, for women it's 30 shekels, and the worth of, um, I can't complete that promise, so here's a ram, and the priest would put a value on those things. Um, but then if we go back to chapter 26, what we see is a very interesting thing if we really focus on what the scripture says. So when you first read it, and I read it multiple, multiple times, uh, the first couple of times I felt utter despair because from, cha- from verse 13 to verse 40, the big section of it is all about the curses that God brings to us if we don't follow his statutes. Everything that's just terrible and makes you kind of afraid of God, but obviously we need to have a good fear of him. But then the more you read, the more intently you focus on the scriptures, you see a real interesting juxtaposition between the blessings at the very beginning of the book and the curses in the middle. So in the middle of it, in verse 16, it gives us um, an interesting thing about somewhat you might say is like anxiety in, in verse 16 and in verse 36. It says that we'll see terrors and fever and that those will consume our eyes and give us a horrible feeling in our heart. That we will see these things and it will destroy us on the inside. And then at verse 36, it tells us that we will be filled with a fear that even the falling of a leaf will make us run away and flee. We'll have such fear and anxiety about the world if we don't follow his statutes. But then the awesome thing is in the promises, if we go back to the beginning of the book, what we see is that God says that he will dwell with us and that he will break the straps of our yoke and ease our burdens. So the punishment for not following his statutes is burden, is anxiety, is stress. The promise of following his statutes is peace and the removal of those burdens. But not just the removal of the burdens, but actually the straps that hold the yoke down, the things that tie us to those burdens. He will relieve those from us as well. And after all this, another thing that you see in this chapter, at verse 40, is the way that we can get to this point is repentance. At verse 40, it says that if we have a changing of our hearts and testify that we are in such a state that we beg for forgiveness from God for not everything that we've done, but all the failures and unfaithfulness that our fathers have done. If we find that within ourselves, our uncircumcised hearts, according to the scripture, being humbled, all of that fear, all of that anxiety, all of those burdens will be lifted. It doesn't say that we have to be at some point where we're following all of these beforehand, but literally if just those moments where we know that we've fallen short, if we release those to him, an uncircumcised heart can reap the benefits of the promise. Okay, if you'll pray with me. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today observing your Shabbat. Father, I I thank you for allowing us to end Leviticus in such this way that you show us the promises that come from following your statutes, from us following the Shabbat. Lord, I pray that everyone in here understand that there is a great 
picture in verses 26 and 27. That though there is a price put on to everything that we give to the Lord in, verse, in chapter 27, because of our Messiah, because of what he did, he allowed us to bring broken bones, our failed selves to your presence, and has redeemed the value of those so that we can reap the rewards. Father, may that permeate our minds today and as following forward. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Oh, are you guys, uh, you guys awake? <laughs> I know one of the commandments of the Sabbath is to rest. Are you guys resting during service? All right, well, we did this not too long ago uh, called Feed the Fire, Keep the Fire Burning, or one of the Point of Grace songs uh, when Daniel le- led. And so this week I was, uh, I was going before the Lord. Well, I'm really short all of a sudden. We gave him the short chair. There we go. Okay, now you need to go up because I can't be above you. There's some sort of symbolism. There we go. See, Ephraim's taller now too. So this week when I was going before the Lord, um, (laughs) can I sit at the big kids table? Oh, man, you need to go up higher because the glare off your head is killing me. <laughs> oh. Would have been much better if Chris had gotten that chair. Yeah, yeah. you want to switch me? I'll still be, we'll be the same height when all is said and done. Like, don't, stop embarrassing your mother. <laughs> Here, let's switch. Uh, Cameron's swapping out. Good old, good old tech guys. He's a teacher and a tech guy. So this week I wanted Thanks, to um, address a topic that has been a stumbling block sometimes, been a source of confusion sometimes. Sometimes it's been um, a very positive thing for people in their life. And that is customs, traditions, and the Bible. Because oftentimes we look at things and we think of things as this being biblical or this being religious or this being a commandment and simply it might have just been a custom. It might have been a tradition. For example, my wife and I have a tradition of every time we go to the beach, we take a kissy face selfie. There is no commandment in the Bible. There is no commandment in my ketubah, but I like it. And there's nothing wrong with it. Sometimes traditions are set up and they're great. Sometimes traditions are set up and they're wrong. They're wrong because sometimes they replace something that God specifically instructed us to do. But we're not going to be very condemning today, I don't think. I think we're just going to have a good, fun conversation. So now that I've got you all worried and everybody's back to falling asleep and not laughing at the fact that Daniel's three feet shorter than all of us, 
We're going to dive right in. So obviously we cannot get into every single topic that's in the Bible. We can't go through every single custom or every single tradition. Every culture throughout all times have had various customs and traditions. We have our own in the United States of America. We have some in this state, in this city. If you are a Sooners fan, there are customs and traditions exclusively to being a football fan or a basketball fan or whatever. So there's no way we're going to get through all those today. But we are going to look at a couple of bullet points today that hopefully will be edifying to you as you go through your life and get three completely different perspectives. So we're going to start off with clothing. Now, there is a very unique thing that's happening today that I'd like to point out that only happens every once in a blue moon, and that is I have a tallit on. People probably think I didn't own a tallit. No, I did not go to the marketplace this week and buy a tallit. I have owned this tallit for a, a Great bit of time. However, most of the time on this platform, on this stage, Ephraim is the only one who wears a tallit on a regular basis. I have yet to see Daniel Musson wear a tallit. Now, is a tallit bad? No. My perspective is a tallit is not bad. Is a tallit a commandment? No. So, I am no more holy sitting here right now with this tallit on than I am, like most Shabbats, where I don't wear it. And considering the fact that I'm sweating profusely with that on, there's no more level of holiness with this on than there isn't. Now, some people create customs and traditions. One very unique one that I love, I love it, I love watching it, is when, Mo, when Monty and Ephraim put on their tallits, they will go off in a corner, they will don the tallit over their head, and they will have a moment with the Lord in prayer before they teach, before they go into a worship service. It's just them and the Lord. There's no outward distractions. There's nothing going on. Is that a commandment? No. Is there anything wrong with that tradition? No. Not whatsoever. Let's talk about the kippah. Once again, I'm not wearing a kippah. You can definitely tell he's not wearing a kippah. <laughs> and he is wearing a kippah. Ephraim, tell us a little bit about the, the history of the kippah and why you wear the kippah. Well, I wear a kippah because it has become my custom and tradition in the worship of the Lord. When I attend services, I wear a kippah, I wear a tallit. The kippah represents the fear of the Lord. It's uh, very much a tradition uh, within, again, a custom within Judaism. I grew up going to Messianic synagogues, and it was the custom and tradition. Everybody wore a kippah. Everybody wore a tallit. As time has gone on, you know, we find ourselves in other congregations, other places that travel, and that's not the custom of other people. Because it is a part of my personal prayer life, my personal worship of the Lord, it's kind of something that's, that's, it belongs to me. It's, it's, it's between me and the Lord in that case. I don't then have the rule to decide whether somebody else wears a tallit or wears a kippah. It means something very much to me. Now, other people have come up at times and asked, should I get a tallit? What, what do I do? And I, said, and I describe from my perspective, look, it, it's something very personal to you. If that's something that you would like to incorporate in your personal worship of the Lord, then you should. But then because it's nature as a tradition or a custom, 
we're, we're not talking about a salvation issue. We're not talking about something that is, um, that is a strict commandment. Now, we do talk about the commandment about tying the seats in a corner of a garment, and we can, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But it is, as a whole, a prayer shawl, and it's about the personal prayer life of the individual that wears it. I remember Mike Stallsworth was up here uh, when we had him teach, I think it was a year and a half ago, and he was saying that his personal prayer time with the Lord, I, I remember laughing, he admitted to it, it was like it was in the bathtub, that that's his time when he's praying before the Lord. And other people have their prayer closet. That is what a talit actually represents to most men when they have a talit. It is their personal prayer closet. And so when I get ready to worship the Lord, or I get to be a part of a service, or when I go to teach, even in the course of a recording that's not during a main service, we have a studio, I go and I do recordings that are pre-recorded and then go into the future, I still put on my talit and I pray before the Lord, and it's a part of my personal prayer life to prepare to teach the Word, or to prepare to be a part of a service or worship the Lord. That's no. my personal testimony. These guys will have their own personal testimonies, and that's yeah. kind of the point of this whole thing is the individual is what we're trying to encourage to, in, to, to increase their personal relationship with the Lord. Correct, because Daniel, if you'll stand up real quick and show, Daniel is the only one of the three of us who wears Zitziot on the belt loops of every single one of his pants. Now, that is very similar in essence, to our talit and the zitziot on the four corners. However, you don't see him wearing the talit as a whole, but yet he does it differently. And you do that because it reminds you as you go throughout your day, the commandments of the Lord, right. when somebody cuts you off, right. it reminds you how to act, <laughs> all those kind of things, right? You grab a hold of them and you, it reminds. Is it not also a very good conversation starter as well? Absolutely. There's been, uh, it's, the really funny thing is uh, what I've experienced. So I used to have a job where I went into people's homes and I was with them for several hours at a time. Inevitably, it was always the non-Christians who would ask me, what's this on your pants? And it would give me the ability to share my testimony a little bit with them and, and say, look, you know, this is, this is a, an instruction that's found in the Bible, and it's there for me to put on every day so that I remember not to follow my own passions, but to follow His will. And so, um, you know, I, I like wearing them. The, the whole thing is, I also have a Talit, and I have a Kippa, and I have, I've owned them for 15 years, and I've put them on twice, both times I was asked to do so, and both times for a Passover function. Um, you know, I, I don't personally wear them, and, and it's it's just my, my personal opinion, and I think the Talit is, is an amazing tool that someone can use to really um, feel a closeness. And there's many people that have that testimony, is that when they don that Talit, they feel like they're, they're literally under the covering of his wings. And that's fitting because um, the, the word that's used here uh, in the Hebrew is the word kanaf, um, so the, the two times that you see the instructions of the tzitziot uh, is in Numbers chapter 15 and in Deuteronomy chapter 22. Uh, and actually, I, they read this way. Numbers 15, the interesting thing about Numbers 15, the first instruction regarding the, the tzitziot, the, the tassels, is that it's given within the context of the man just went out to collect sticks on the Sabbath. He was instructed not to. 
And what happened was he intentionally broke the commandment and they went to Moses and said, what are we supposed to do? And, and he said, well, I don't know. Let me consult with the Lord. And the Lord says, um, you got to cut this guy off because he did so intentionally. And you're going to set the precedent here that people can defy the instruction and then you're going to have chaos, basically. That's what it comes down to. Well, right after the people, you know, carry through the instruction to cut this man off, okay, it immediately says, in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 15, verses 38 through 40, speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels, tzitziot, on the corners, kanaf, of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of Adonai, so as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and to be holy to your Elohim. Now, the, the problem that occurs here is that the, the word kanaf occurs twice there. Um, and and the, the word kanaf, um, the first time uh, al-kanfe and the second time ha-kanaf in that, that portion there, if you do a word study on this, you will find that generally speaking, the majority of the time that this word kanaf is used in the Hebrew, it's referring to the wings of a bird. Okay? And so there we have the issue because then in Deuteronomy, which we understand Deuteronomy is simply a retelling. Okay? The, the people are standing at the border and Moshe says, I can't go with you, but remember all these things. What happens here is that in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse uh, 12, it says, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners, kanaf, okay? Uh, in fact, the Hebrew there is al-arbe kanafot, arbe being four, okay? On the four corners of your garments with which you cover yourself. And here's where what ends up happening is this. In rabbinic tradition, what's taken place is they've focused on the word four, Okay, and they've said that, well, what this means is this is a garment that you cover yourself with and it has to have four corners. And so in rabbinic tradition, what I do doesn't qualify. Okay, because it's not on a four-cornered garment. The, the issue that I personally have with the tallit is that a tallit is typically donned for a service, for prayer, for worship, and then it's taken off. Correct. And for me, I want that commandment with me at all times. Okay. Which also is the Talit Katan that right. exists, which is basically a shirt that would go under. Um, any of you who have ever seen Rico Cortez or a lot of the Orthodox Jews will wear a Talit Katan. It, Jeff? Each Talit has a different blessing that is on it. Um, I, the, the main one that is on, on the Talit is a simple blessing that says in the Hebrew, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has can, commanded me to daunt the Ziziot, is what That's it basically correct. means. Um, there's other blessings that have been put on there, either Messianic, it just depends on from one Talit to the next. The blessing that is done before the, on the Talit, on the crown of the Talit, completely traditional. It's different from correct. one Talit to the next. And, and again, the Talit Katan is, is one of those unique elements where basically they take kind of the version that Daniel has where he's wearing it on the four corners of his garment. And then they take the prayer shawl where basically the Talit, where they would wear it and they would wear it under all of their garments uh, that they wear every day. And that's why most of the time you'll see them, none of their shirts are ever tucked in. None of that stuff happens. I know Messianics who, who wear their tzitzit on the inside of their pants, you would never know that they ever wear it unless you were you were total creeping, and so like, like you wouldn't know. 
And so the only thing in this whole element is the fact that there is a commandment in numbers for you to wear tassels on the four corner of your garment. However, it doesn't specifically say that it must be a talit. It doesn't say that it's a talit katan. It doesn't necessarily say, because, I mean, technically that's not the four corners of his garment. That's as close as we can get. And so that's why it's important to understand there's a commandment there, but how the commandment is actually kept inside your home is kept in a lot of different ways. And there's good and negatives to all of the above and, in that time. And the funny thing about that, so I was actually at a Red Robin in Arkansas, okay? And I'm walking up, and my mom was with me. We were there for lunch, and there was a Jewish guy behind us. And as we're walking up to the restaurant, he says, four corners of the world. And I turn around, and he's pointing to my TTO. And so from that perspective, he was like, he understood that anywhere I turned, and this represents the four corners, the directions, right. the cardinal directions, anywhere I turn that they're before me kind of thing. Which so. is basically, again, an it's overview nice. of numbers. Right. We also have to remember what the purpose of the commandment was mm-hmm. so that we may look upon them yep. and remember the commandments of the Lord. Um, something I just uh, noticed about that Torah portion, it's in the same Torah portion as Shalach when the children of Israel reject the promised land. They reject the promised land and then they tried to go and take the promised land, and they, got, they lost, and then they ended up wandering in the wilderness for, for uh, 40 years after that, 38, we think. What's very interesting about that is, didn't they have a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, leading them in the wilderness? They could always see that God's presence was there in the camp. But after that Torah portion, it's kind of reading between the lines, the pillar is never mentioned again after that. It's mentioned in, in reference back in Deuteronomy just describing what happened. But the pillar, I personally believe, ceased to be there for them to see and to follow and remember to follow the Lord. See, before, if anybody sinned, they could just say, hey, should we follow what God says? Eh, look over there, that giant thing over there. I think I'm going to follow what the Lord says. But because they rejected the promised land, they tried to take it themselves, all of this. There's no reference that the pillar was there anymore. So what did they need? To see something else that's kind of long, straight, narrow, for them to remember the commandments of the Lord. So we have to remember the purpose so that we might see them and remember the presence of the Lord and remember what he has commanded us. That's the purpose. Now, the same thing with any customs and any traditions, like Ephraim was saying there on the precepts and the principles are, is I've seen people who wear zitziot on the four corners just like Daniel does, and they wear them to their knee. So the things are definitely noticeable. There's no way you can't see them. They get caught in your car door, everything else. And they're jerks. Every day of their life, they're jerks. Everything they do is a jerk. And when they're walking into restaurants, they're being jerks to the waiters and waitresses. Now, if the commandment was for you to remember the commandments of the Lord your God and the witness you have while you're walking around with those reminders on yourself is the witness to other people is that whoever this person is, he's a jerk. I don't want anything to do with him. Well, you have a symbol and a sign, whether it would be the talit, the kippah, or the zitziot on your garment. You have a sign that distinguishes you that you're a part of God's kingdom, something that somebody could easily go and see, and by doing so, you are reflecting a negative witness upon your God. So, we must be very careful in the witness that we give, because no matter how awesome or holy you look on the outside, if your heart and your actions are not there, 
it's virtually irrelevant. And if anything, it might be worse. Because somebody may see Daniel and they say, I don't want anything to do with any religious belief he has or any God that he worships because he is not a good person. And that's very possible. We see that very issue today in a lot of the modern Christian churches with the Jews and the Christians because of the Roman Empire and the Crusades in the name of God. They killed and slaughtered a lot of people. And so we must be careful on the very precepts and the principles of what Ephraim's stating there, how we represent that. Yeah, you have to remember the Messiah chimed in in Matthew 23 and talked about how the Pharisees lengthened their tassels and made their phylacteries large to somehow increase their holiness, yet they did not practice what they preached. Correct. So it is very possible for you to go out and do something and it be in vain. It's very, very possible. There are some people who will never put a set of seats on, will never don a kippah, will never don a tallit, and they will be some of the greatest people you will ever meet, the greatest witnesses of the Lord. So there is a good intermediary of those areas that are there. And look, I, I need this. If left to my own devices, I'm not a nice person. Yeah, you don't want to drive on the road with him if he doesn't have his seat seats on. I need this daily reminder every day when I put them on to remind myself to walk in his ways and not in my own. Because if I don't, I'm going to be a nasty person. I'm going to be exactly what he was just talking about. And this is part of my daily reminder when I get dressed every day. It's to remind myself, humble up, Muslim. Confession in our fantasy football league, Daniel Musson is our rage monster. That's his nickname. It's true. All right, we're going we're gonna to keep skipping along because we had an awful lot of information and we're not even remotely close to the things I was hoping to get in. Um, beards, real quick. There's a scripture that talks about not marring the corners of your beard. Um, let me tell you this. Last year, about the same time, I had like a five o'clock stubble at best in there. You want to read the scripture verse in regards to actual, like, what it means about beards? Because, like, I'm rocking the Yuri right now. Right. And so it's, there's some debate about this. Of course, you know, I keep mine trimmed real nice. Uh, You know, Ephraim trims his up a a bit. Uh, Chris has started letting his go, okay? So, which is, which is, you know, there's some question is, by trimming my beard, am I, uh, you know, somehow breaking this commandment, okay? Yes and no. It, no. Yes it, it, no. It, no. It says in Leviticus <laughs> chapter 19, verses 27 and 28, you shall not round off the side growth of your heads, nor harm the edges of your beard. Okay? Now, if we just stop there, then someone can extrapolate and say that by my trimming up my beard, then somehow I'm breaking this commandment. However, the very next verse says, you shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead, nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. I am Adonai. You see, the whole context here is that this was something that was very common for mourning practices. It was a custom and a tradition of that culture at that point in time to do. And literally, you can see instances in Scripture where people died and someone pulled out their beard. Okay? And this is a mourning thing. And it's, it's about shaping your beard in such a way or your, your hair in such a way that it's an obvious sign that you're mourning the dead kind of thing. And, and the same thing with making the cuttings in your skin. It's a permanent marker to remember that person kind of thing, okay? Um, so this is what's, what's being outlawed here is not the way that the beard is shaped per se. It's that it's a, associated with these practices here. You're not to be like those people that do these things. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Now, it also assumes, of course, that you have a beard. However... Or can grow a beard. Some right? people cannot grow right? a some beard. Some people can't. And, and so as a result, you know, it, it, in that scenario, uh, you know, I've had a beard for 
Uh, 14 years. Before that, he had a soul patch. I have yeah, the picture. I, I actually, I always had a version of a goatee of some kind. Right. Okay. And, um, yeah, and the so soul patch, yeah. I, here, I, I was an example of looking at this verse and taking it out of context. So I had a goatee. And when we first, uh, my, my fellowship down in Florida, when we first started down this whole path, we looked beard. at this and I, and I said, my goatee, am I shaping my beard in such a way? And then I said, why is it called a goatee? Oh, the goat, it must be related to Baphomet, the, the, the god of, of Satan worship. And so I shouldn't have that representation on my face. No, that's totally, that, yeah, that was You can dumb. make anything happen yes. if you want it to happen. Absolutely. It was totally dumb. Okay, but, but. From that standpoint, I grew up my beard, and I've had it ever since, okay? And, and of course, it's um, amazing. <laughs> well, <laughs> l- let me also chime in here as far as being part of the Messianic movement for a, for a great deal of time in my life. You know, I, I grew a beard the second I could grow one, uh, not be- uh, for me, not because of the That's commandment. That's the, the only way your wife would have married you. Pretty much, yeah. I could grow facial hair uh, three months before I met my wife just in time because um, this baby face wouldn't have, wouldn't have uh, done the trick. So... However, growing up, though, I did see something in certain congregations. Many of the elders, many of the men all had beards. Many of them already had beards when they first came in through the door. What would happen over time is that new gentlemen would come into the congregation, didn't have a beard, couldn't grow a beard. And they personally said and questioned whether they were accepted in the congregation because they couldn't grow a beard. Yeah, there's peer pressure in religion, too. or, Or didn't grow a beard. And they felt, I mean, they, they, I mean these, were, these were genuine questions asked of the elders and said, is it okay for me to be here because I don't grow a beard? What about my job? There's firefighters. They're not allowed to grow beards. Service my, my brother-in-law, servicemen, they're not allowed to grow facial hair. Maybe they get away with a mustache to do, do as best they could. In fact, some people have done that. They're like, Lord, for my job, I can't grow a beard. But I can grow a mustache, and so that's my way of keeping the commandment as they felt that it was. But back to my original thing. Should gentlemen have been unwelcome in a family or a fellowship of faith because they didn't have a beard? No. This idea that you have to grow a beard is completely, is, is not commandment. And in fact, if you go back to the context of the commandment, yeah, it had to do with mourning the dead and harming yourself and putting marks in your skin. And so having to clarify some of these things, these are examples of issues people have run into that maybe we've kind of cleared some of these things. I haven't heard that in a long time where somebody had a problem about a beard in a congregation, but that's, it's kind of an example of the things that we, that get in the way of the commandment traditions that we do or that we see or customs that we see. Every, every gentleman has a beard in the congregation. That's almost a custom of that congregation. And almost like a pat on the back because I can tell you, you know, going from almost having no beard to having a long beard, everybody's like, dude, I love your beard, man. Love your beard, man. You yeah. know, went on the road for two weeks and they're like, dude, love your beard, man. And it's like, so you didn't love me before I grew my beard or you just love my beard? Like, Oops. Like, so we have to be careful with that because it can become, it can become something that was never intended to be in, in the first place and it helps us lose focus. And ultimately, that's one thing that we have to remember is we have to keep a focus on being balanced in our interpretation of the scripture. A lot of the customs and the traditions that exist are not bad. They're not bad. 
if you do them inside your home or you bring them into the community, it's not bad. It's not bad to have a beard. But you should never look down on a man or, or, or a woman who is not able to do something or who chooses not to do something. Uh, that's one of the biggest unique things about our congregation here is that we don't take a stance on most of those things. We refuse to take a stance on that because ultimately these are things that every household has to make decisions of. Jeff is the leader of your household. You have to make the decision on what customs and traditions you're going to put in place inside your home that you feel are honoring to God for your home. Those may differ from Ephraim. They may differ from me. They may differ from Daniel. And for far too long, almost 30 years of the Messianic Hebrew root Sabbath-keeping movement, those things have been used as devices to split fellowships, relationships, homes, everything. And we specifically set out in this congregation when we started and we were seeking the Lord for what is, and we said, no longer are we going to let that divide us. If somebody wants to come in here with a raging beard down to, their, to the, um, the, the McCurleys, guy had an amazing beard. I could never do it. I just couldn't do it. I don't even think it can grow that fast. It falls out too quick. But he had an amazing beard. Fantastic. We have people who walk in here that don't have a beard. We have people here who have the goat god on their face with Brian. And by the way, when Daniel McCurley <laughs> shaved his beard because he needed to for employment, for, correct. he wasn't breaking a commandment. No, he, he was he, not. It, it, it's, it's just a custom to have a beard. Correct. It's an awesome custom, but it's a custom to have a beard. And that's why, that's why we've done this. A lot of people will say, well, you're, you're being lukewarm or you're, you're, you're not taking a stance for righteousness. No, absolutely. We're taking a stand for righteousness because ultimately inside your home, every male in this place, you are the head of your own home. You are responsible for your wife's and your children's and your own relationship. Robert, you're getting ready to enter that in tomorrow, man. There's going to be so many blessings in your life coming. And I know, I know that God's going to do amazing things for you and your wife moving forward. And you have the responsibility of your home. I do not. And I have no right to step into his home and tell him, you must wear a kippah. You must wear a tallit. You must do these things. I can offer counsel. But I have no right to step in. Jeff, did you have a question, sir? Correct. Right. Correct. I don't know that necessarily I see a lot of commandments being forced to be set aside in our group, and not even just our group, but our greater community. Um, I'll, can I'll, you I'll, think of any that are being asked to be set aside? Actually, so the example Ephraim already gave is an example of that. So in the in circumstance in which someone comes into a congregation and because they can't grow a beard or because of their job, they, they don't grow a beard or whatever the case may be, feeling ostracized because of that? is an example of that because we are commanded to love our neighbor. We are commanded and, to love. And as Correct. a result, causing someone to feel like they, they cannot be part of our, uh, a fellowship because they're different, yeah. okay? That doesn't, that's not a command uh, to cast them out because they're different. And that, I mean, it's not exactly an example, but it's, it's kind of an example of, of, you know, saying something is more important than loving my neighbor. Um, yeah, well, jumping right off of that, I'm, I want to take this to a little bit deeper level because a sometimes a certain tradition specifically associates with a commandment. 
And so sometimes they will do a, a, the tradition and they'll make the tradition more important than the commandment. This is within Orthodox Judaism where they take the oral law and the words of the rabbis and carry them to equal weight of you, what Moses said. You lit the candles after sundown? Yeah. Things like that. There's one, one of those things are more direct and, and we, can, we could pick on our brethren that may, might feel that way, but that's not where I, what I want to say. The biggest commandment that gets set aside for the sake of tradition is the one of loving your neighbor and showing kindness to one another. That's the biggest one that is set aside so that I can lord something over you, so that I can lift myself up, exalt myself because I'm doing something and feel more holy because of it. I'm not more holy because I wear a tallit, so I'm going to look down on somebody who doesn't or pick your tradition, pick your custom. We do this this way, and this is our thing, and you guys go have your thing. Well, isn't that exactly what what Jeff is stating there? Because the whole precept of what Yeshua was stating to the Pharisees at Mm -hmm. that time is that you're being hypocritical because you have elevated your interpretation of how you practice your faith over the actual faith given by God. So the very thing you're saying is the very precept that's in there is if we lord ourselves over, we think we're somehow more righteous or holy because we have a beard or we wear a kippah or a tallit or um, our family lights the Sabbath candles or doesn't light the Sabbath candles, that is the very precept, I believe, of that passage where Yeshua is saying you're missing the whole entire point of the commandment and you're elevating your own interpretation or practice of that above what the Word of God says. And that is very harmful to individuals, especially people who are new to keeping the Sabbath or keeping the feasts or whatever. Yeah, this is something else I want to add to us. This is actually one of my biggest issues with my, with, with my Jewish brethren. Um, if we're just having a casual conversation here. I think a lot of us are familiar with Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro is a wonderful man. He's a libertarian politically. He's religious Orthodox Jew. And all, many of us, if we are on the same political spectrum, like, like, like a lot of what Ben Shapiro has to say. There's one thing I very much do not like what Ben Shapiro has to say. As a libertarian idea, he has his thing, and everybody else can kind of go do their thing. And he's never actively, and this is actually kind of the stance within Judaism, they're not actively trying to share the blessings that God has given to them and taught them how to walk uprightly before the almighty creator of heaven and earth. They're not actively trying to share that with other people and to bring that blessing to those who don't have it. That is one of my, that's my biggest beef, honestly. And so the idea that, okay, we have our custom, we have our tradition, we have our thing, and you guys go and have your thing. This is where we create this divide between this is how we do it and this is how you do it, and we completely are glossing over and covering over at the very heart what is the Lord trying to do for this world, for his people. We're trying to share the gospel, the good news. We're trying to share the blessings, all the blessings that came to the children of Israel being delivered out of Egypt. All those commandments, all those traditions, is so that the whole world might walk uprightly before him with those commandments. And so if we just put our traditions, uh, we, we, we wrap it in a bow and this is how we do things, and we're not actively making a way for others to receive those blessings in the same way, then I believe we are failing in delivering the gospel message, making disciples of the nations. Now, there's multiple ways to do that. Sometimes there are some traditions we use 
to share with our fellow brother that is the inn by which they come and keep the commandment. One of the things when somebody becomes a Sabbath keeper, they question, well, what do I do now? Well, this is when we talk about Kiddush. This is when we talk about lighting the candles and the cup and the bread, which are not commandments, but are completely traditions in how to set apart the Sabbath. If somebody says they keep the Sabbath, I don't have to go and double check and say, oh, well, did you do Kiddush to make sure you did it right? Of course not. But I might ask him and say, how do you ensure that you separate the Sabbath from the rest of the week? Do you do anything special to set apart that time? I don't care when you set apart that time. It doesn't have to be 18 minutes before sundown or any other time that somebody will tell you you have to follow. But I will ask this, how did you separate the Sabbath? How did you do it? Do you have any traditions, any tips that remind you to do it and remind you to keep the commandment? Because that's truly what customs and traditions are supposed to do for us. Help us to keep Help the to Sabbath. Keep, but not replace the commandment. Correct. So the thing is this. Do I like Kiddush every single week in my household? The answer is no. I try to. I love to. When all my family's together, we got dinner at home. We'll do the Kiddush. Sometimes my wife makes a fresh batch of challah. And then, man, that is a beautiful evening with fresh smell of fresh baked bread and delicious meal and kids and blessing the kids. And that's wonderful. Sometimes... Schedules are a little busy. I'm still working on something to prepare for HFF. Um, you know, the kids had some sort of function or whatever. Sometimes we don't. And for me personally, I do feel like, I wish I had kept Sabbath better this week. But, so hold on. How do we keep the Sabbath? Because I know in Exodus it talks about the Sabbath. So you have customs and traditions. You mentioned a couple there that we have Kiddush and we have some of that. So what does the scripture actually tell us about the Sabbath day? So, Scripture um, actually is, there's only a couple of clues that we have about Sabbath. First is that you're to rest, you're not to do any work, okay? We can see other examples, um, for instance, what I already cited from Numbers, um, the gentleman who was going out to collect sticks, what would be his purpose in collecting those sticks? So, giving, giving the, given the, the circumstances within which they were, they were in the Arabian Peninsula at the time. Um, it can get cold there at night, but this is in the middle of the day, apparently, that he's doing this. So the, the, the implication here is that he's not gathering sticks to keep a fire going to keep himself warm, per se. They're, they're in a very warm climate already. Um, clearly, he was, his intention in doing this was, number one, to break the, the instruction that was given. And number two, to conduct some kind of work. Perhaps he was a blacksmith or something of this nature. So he was doing so with the Laborious. intention... Right, doing so with the intention of, uh, you know, creating some kind of a work, okay? Not resting on that day, that was the whole point. Then the, of course we have, you know, in, in Scripture we have these other minor little things that are on there regarding Sabbath, for instance. One I personally adhere to, um, the example that was given in uh, the, the wilderness, okay? Now, you could say that we no longer have the manna given to us and this doesn't apply anymore, I think the principle does apply. It says specifically in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, Then he said to them, This is what Adonai meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to Adonai. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. Okay? In my opinion, this is telling me I should not cook on Sabbath. Now, I can keep something warm, okay? But literally, you know, working over a stove to me. 
Um, that is something, that, in my personal opinion, now, it's not, you know, it's not commanded, hey, look, don't cook things. Right. Correct. It's just, there's a principle that's there that I find to be something I want to apply to my life. And we've all had this conversation numerous times because one of my favorite things to do on the Sabbath is to grill. I love to walk outside, press the little electronic start button, and put food on and grill. I love it. I love to do it. It's relaxing for me. A lot of times I'll put worship music on. It's just me and the Lord, and I'm getting a nice, good suntan, burning myself to a crisp, and I'm just sitting there making a hamburger or whatever. And I enjoy doing that at that point in time between me and the Lord. This is something Daniel would not be doing on the Sabbath. And so we can sit here, and there's a lot of things we'd love to go to. We're already 12 minutes over our service time this week, and there's a lot of things we'd still like to unpack for you. Maybe we'll try to do this in the future, because we haven't even talked about the feast. We've barely gotten into the Sabbath, and there's so many elements of this. But ultimately, the point of why we wanted to bring this today is the fact that there are commandments, there are customs, and there are traditions. Commandments are what God has instructed us to do. Customs and traditions are not. You can have customs and traditions that help you keep the commandments and are good. They're not wrong. They're not bad. You can have customs and traditions that actually take away from the commandments of God and just like Jeff was sharing with us from the gospel, can be negative. A lot of this still comes back down to you seeking out the Lord in your home. And especially like Paul's talking about of the circumcised heart. What is the reason you're doing it? Like Daniel said, are you gathering sticks because you just want to gather sticks and you want to be rebellious? Are you not wearing a tallit or a kippah because you just want to be rebellious? Are you wearing tzitzit on your belt because you want to rebel against your Baptist parents? All of those things, you could be keeping a commandment at that point in time, but if your heart is not doing it for the right reason, stop. Immediately. Stop. Because you're playing holy. You're faking it. And as much as I may think you're cool, or you may like my beard, or whatever... Your, my approval, somebody else's approval at this point in time is not more important than making sure that you are in right connection with the Heavenly Father and His commandments. This is why, again, I tell you, we have always gotten to the point where I'm not going to try to reach into your home and tell you what to do inside your home. We want you to keep the feast. We want you to keep the Sabbath. We believe those are commandments of God. If you keep them on some other calendar than we possibly keep, and we all would keep a different calendar, that's a very fun debate for a whole nother time. If we were doing that, who cares for us? Because you kept the Passover. Now, did you have an egg? Did you have a lamb bone? Did you have all these things? Who cares? Did you keep the Passover? I don't care. Did you keep the Passover? That's what I'm worried about. That's what we're all worried about. There's beauty. Beauty. You come to my home Seder, it's a kid's Haggadah. We're, it, it looks like basically Chick-fil-A's playpen. We're all in on the, on the plagues or whatever. We go and we do community Seders or Seders with friends. Not so much. It's very reverent. Is one better than the other? No. But my kids need something different than I need. The Amos family needs something different than the Zinker family. Then... Carol, 
and Daniel, the Frickers, everybody else, we're all at different points. The point is the commandments of God will always trump the customs and traditions of anything. And unfortunately, a lot of people, a lot of ministries that are out there will tell you that we have traded one set of customs from the church to replace them with another set of customs from Judaism or from Moses. They're customs. They're customs. And we have to be very careful in how we approach those things because at the end of the day, if we're going to crucify our brothers and sisters for the custom or the tradition, the hallmark holidays of Easter and Christmas, and we're going to turn around and have Halloween on Purim, we are a hypocrite. We must be careful in the condemnation that we give to other people because when there's customs and there's traditions that are there, if we are doing the same thing and there's equal weights and measures that God talks about in the scripture, we must be very careful in how we approach that. Now, I am not telling you to go, if you, we, we do Purim here, so I'm not telling you to go keep Christmas and Easter. But I'm telling you, we must be careful in the condemnation we give for somebody who refuses to light Sabbath candles or lights it after the sundown, or lights one versus three, or has a beard versus no beard, or to lead or kippah. Because I can tell you right now that this guy right here, he comes to Sabbath because he likes to hear music. He likes to see his friends. He likes to watch his daddy teach and preach and have fun. He's not worried about whether you light one candle or three candles. And I can tell you this, for my little ones in here, if my, my kids grow up and have their own household and they choose that they're not going to light candles or they're going to wear a kippah or not wear a kippah or they're going to do uh, the Hallel 2 calendar versus the New Moon calendar or the Enoch calendar or whatever's out there in the world, I don't care as long as they're keeping the commandments of God. And that is at the heart of each one of us, even though we all arrive sometimes to a different perspective on that. That's the beauty we have inside this local community, is that there is a balance that comes between the three of us in how we try to approach teaching, because at the end of the day, most of what has made up our movement, our denomination, our church for years is based upon custom. How we practice it is based upon custom. And as we move forward, we don't want to be in a place that tells you that your custom, especially if your custom is not contradicting the commandments of God, that your custom is right or wrong. Because it's just that a custom. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I raise up this little guy as he grows, I'm going to share the customs and traditions that I grew up with. I'm going to teach him about a talit and a kippah, and this is what—that's how he's going to grow up. But that's going to be different than his kids. That's going to be different than Daniel's kids. Yep. But as we co-labor together, we will continue to keep our sole focus on the commandments of the Lord and learning how to keep them in our own homes, in our own families, and that's—that's that's the most important thing. And one of the reasons why I respect both of these men is because at the end of the day, if Titus decides that he'll never wear a kippah when he has the ability to make that decision, he's going to respect that. And he's going to love his son. If his daughters grow up and marry a young man who decides that he's going to grill on the Sabbath, he's going to respect that. He's going to look at his seat seats, but he's going to respect it. <laughs>
And that's one of the things that, that we're really trying to do in this community is to respect the differences of the practice of the commandments. Now, I'll tell you this. We'll all come out of the gate like warriors with spears if we're seeing transgressions of the commandments. But when we see the different customs, to me, it's beautiful. To me, it's beautiful to watch the dancers with the flags back there, to watch the circle dances back there. There's no commandment to dance on the Sabbath. David danced, though. I can't dance, but it's beautiful to watch. We have to get to a point where we mature enough in our relationship with the Lord and our hearts are circumcised to a point where we can separate what is a custom, a tradition, and a commandment. And we can put the fight, we can put the effort in the keeping of the commandment, not in preserving the box around our own individual customs and traditions. Yeah. Will you close us with the prayer, please? Uh, I will. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give to us, Father. Father, we pray that you would guide us with your Holy Spirit in all things that we do, in all the decisions that we make, Father. Father, there are ways that we remember to keep those commandments. There are things that help us to follow you better. Symbols, Lord. Things we do in our homes, things we say, prayers that we pray in certain ways that help us to remember your commandments and your instruction. Father, I pray that you would give every single person the means by which to keep the commandments. Strengthen us, Lord, to keep them better. Now, sometimes the ways that we keep them, Father, and the things that we do to help us remember to keep them, Lord, can sometimes help others. But if we meet others along the way, Father, that don't do those same commandments and traditions, Father, may we find new ways to encourage them to keep the commandments. May our hearts always turn to you and you alone, into your word. Father, I pray that we do not exalt the customs and traditions of man over your word and your commandments. For others have come before us, Lord, and have done exactly that. And Father, they have been cut off from their people. Those people are no more. Those people do not follow you, Lord. They don't follow your instructions. They prefer their parties and their interactions and their friendships with their fellow brothers more than their covenant relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would never be that, that we would always follow you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, from our inward most being, Father, and not from our outward expression. May the outward expression that we show, Father, be a symptom and a reflection of what's on the inside. May we never use it to lord over anyone else. Father, we thank you for the traditions and customs that you have given to us that have been passed down from the ancients. Father, may we learn from them to know what to repeat, what to continue, but also, Lord, may in the course of our study and through the leading of your Holy Spirit, may we know what was in error, what also was a mistake that the ancients made in their attempt to follow you. So, Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in all things. We thank you. We give you all honor, glory, and praise in this place. It's in your son, Yeshua, that we pray. Amen. Just so you know, uh, Titus coming up right at that time was not scripted in any way. That's simply the leading of the Holy Spirit that uh, was a great illustration. All right, let us rise. And close the service with a custom. With another custom. 
As it was our custom at HFF, we close every service with the ironic blessing. The Lord spoke in Moshe and said, Tell Aaron and his sons, this is the way you shall bless the children of Yisrael. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom. Thank you for joining us for this week's Shabbat live stream. We pray that the teachings and the worship were edifying to you, but most importantly, that they lifted up and blessed the Lord because He has blessed us beyond belief. Even the ability to be able to be speaking to you today, no matter where you're at, it's a blessing. And we, we cannot thank the Lord enough for that. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, or you would like to give towards our widows and orphans and community funds to help those who are less fortunate, you can do so by visiting HebraicFamily.com. None of our staff takes any types of salaries or stipends, and all of the money is put back into furthering the work of the kingdom for the Lord. May Yeshua the Messiah bless you on the Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week. Shalom.